Well, I, uh, I'm greatly privileged to be here again with you this morning. Uh, the Word of God is an amazing thing, and uh, to study it in such fashion again is, is a great privilege. And, and also to be privileged to stand before you and, and proclaim the truth of the Bible is uh, it's fearful, but it's wonderful. So I would like to ask you to stand. I know you just sat, but if we could stand for the reading of God's Word. The text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, and starting in verse 15. I'll be reading from the ESV. Ephesians 5:15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, Submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself, or excuse me, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Please be seated. So much could be said about the creation account, and that especially in regard to the roles of men and women. 
I sought last week to explain from a narrative by taking the legion of inferences that can be drawn from the text that men and women are created for specific roles and a violation of these roles ultimately led to the fall of man. That being said, a fulfillment of these roles leads to the glorification of Christ and the magnification of what he has done for his church. Thus, if we live within the created order, we proclaim the gospel by the union we share in our marital relationships. Originally, I thought my second time before you would consist more of an ecclesiastical viewpoint of men and women's respective roles in the church. And though I think this is extremely useful and of vast importance, I feel as I observe and talk with people here that this congregation has a very good grasp on the doctrine of church responsibilities regarding men and women. Now that being said, it's one thing to know what the Bible says about any certain subject and another thing to live it out under the guidance of the Spirit of God and His Word. Any plain reading of the New Testament will reveal not by inference, but by imperative command, the roles for men and women within a church context. The Bible minces no words, it does not speak in riddles, and it is not vague in regard to men and women in the church. These liberal theologians who advocate gender-neutral roles in regard to church leadership plainly disregard God's clear teaching and do so to their own shame and oftentimes to their own destruction. The arguments against the complementarian view are weak at best, and by necessity misinterpret the terms and in practice extreme eisegesis and proof texting. A quick analysis of the text leaves any logical thinker without questions in regard to the biblical roles in a church context. We would all agree that an abandonment of large portions of scripture altogether would be necessary to allow for what is commonly called egalitarianism. The plain reading of the text, an overview of biblical church history, and a survey of what godly men and women have believed for 2,000 years will leave anyone with a logical mind and a willingness to allow God's word to shape their presuppositions with little doubt about the proper places within the home and within the church. The radical rise of feminism in the 60s and its effects on the church goes to show how the church has failed to be in the world but not of the world. The liberal church, as it were, is dominated with worldly ideas and ideologies and brings their presuppositions and interprets the scriptures therewith. This, as we are all well aware, has led to every possible malady and doctrinal perversion known today. But we as a body must labor in the word of God. This is of the utmost importance. To the wind with every social trend. To the wind with what the world thinks is correct. We must agree with Paul when he says in Romans 12:2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have all seen the devastating effects that poor hermeneutics has on the ears that it befalls. I know firsthand those that think they walk in liberty, but are clearly in bondage to worldly thinking. Freedom is not escaping from God's role barriers, 
Freedom is living within the roles that God has wisely given to us. I trust that we as a congregation congregation, have read and weighed the clear teachings of the Word of God and have come to the same conclusions in regard to the doctrine of biblical manhood and womanhood in a church and family context. <clears throat> now, as I thought about my task before me, I realized that we all have much doctrine th- flowing through our systems, and for me to study doctrine is a delight. And it's easy for me to sit and read a systematic theology, and it's another thing altogether to live that out in a godly way in my life. So as in transition from last week, I have thought it well to talk with you about some of the ways in which we can apply what we know to be true about our humanity. When we look at Ephesians, we are struck with a grandiose display of God's infinite wisdom. And this, by divine decree, mixed brilliantly in the heart of the great pastor, the Apostle Paul. We are given a magnificate of doctrine dealing with everything from God's decree for believers to be elect before the foundation of the world, the place positionally we now have in our standing before God, our oneness and unity in the body by the blood of Christ, and the richness of God's goodness, and so on. And all this is made possible by the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy of our praise and adoration, and he alone is king. In chapter 5, Paul has been laboring to teach those at Ephesus to walk worthy of the manner in which they were called. And this admonition, admonition comes with equal profundity to us this morning. In verse 15, Paul urges us to walk in such a way that is purposeful and wise, being careful, observing every step. Not only should we be looking at what lies directly in front of us, but also where our paths will lead us eventually. In verse 16, he warns of the evil times in which we live and instructs us to be diligent with our time, not throwing it away, but using it in a worthy manner. This is very practical advice considering where Paul is going in the following verses. Verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Immediately, Paul brings our task into focus. We must consider Romans 12, too, that we just read a moment ago. We must make sure that in our careful walking, in verse 15, that in our use of time, in verse 16, that we are positively being transformed by the renewing of our minds and not allowing this world to influence our biblical thinking. The church suffers much when men and women fail to shut the doors of their hearts to anything or anyone that rises up against the word of God. Our minds should be so mesmerized by the beauty and splendor of Christ that nothing could draw our eyes away from his beautiful face. Our minds should be so saturated in the word of God that by necessity, by necessity any false word would be cut to pieces by the sword of the Spirit before it ever has opportunity to take root and sow seeds of doubt and fallacy. In verse 17, Paul essentially states that someone who lacks the knowledge of God's will is foolish. If there be any confusion in our minds about this, we should be driven prayerfully, prayerfully, we should be driven to prayerful study of the Word of God, to seek our transformation and conformity away from ungodly and worldly thinking into conformity with Christ. 
Now with this in mind, Paul continues his argument in verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul's striking contrast made here may be the most practical command given in all of Scripture. The Holy Spirit of God marvelously shows his brilliance by explaining something so grand with such simple terms. Anyone can explain a matter with big and fancy speech. We can take the simplest idea and blow it way out of proportion and stretch the meaning way beyond what was intended. But brilliant minds can explain the most profound truths with the simplest examples. Jesus was master of this with the telling of his parables. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, takes something so base as to be drunk, something that is diametrically opposed to the spirit-filled believer, and draws a comparison between the two. All the while, the negative and a positive command going forth in the same sentence. Consider with me the contrast. First, the word mathusko in the Greek, which is the verb translated drunk. The Apostle Paul gives a present tense imperative with a negative command and basically denotes stopping drunkenness if already started or stopping it before it even begins. This word no speaks not only simply of being drunk, but having one's faculties impaired and dominated or controlled in such a way as to be given over to it. If we look quickly at verse 19, Paul speaks of singing hymns. This could very well be an allusion to the false deity worship that was so prominent in Ephesus and the surrounding area. The false god Bacchus, who was said to be the god of wine, was worshipped by the heathen by getting inebriated and throwing wild parties and orgies. These drunkards would sing crazy wild songs and chants in disunion as an act of worship while they ran through the city streets and vineyards. Plato says that while these, uh, those abominable, abominable ceremonies in the worship of Bacchus continued, it was difficult to find in all Attica a single sober man. So it is very possible that Paul here is speaking to those who would be drunken with wine, whose worship of false de deity was disorderly and perverse, by contrasting the two and saying, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. <clears throat> this comparison has profound meaning and is rich with biblical treasure that when understood in its proper context is wonderfully edifying. The rest of Paul's commands and those preceding, those preceding ones all hinge upon a proper understanding of this wonderful truth. And I would submit to you that of all the 1,500 imperatives in the New Testament, all are all fully dependent on a proper filling of the Holy Spirit, of the, of the Spirit. For without the empowering of the Spirit, we are unable and hopelessly lost uh, to keep any of the commands of God with a pure motive. Without understanding this and without applying this, how then can a wife submit to her husband? How can a husband love his wife as Christ loved the church? How can children honor father and mother? How can slaves obey their masters, or rather, employees their employers? In order to come to terms with this wonderful truth, I feel somewhat obligated to say what it doesn't mean. 
I'm sad to say that even in my own life, liberal theology has affected my thinking. And it's only in careful study of the word that these residual false teachings are shed and we can move on to the heart of the meaning. It would seem to me that a spirit-filled Christian walking in obedience and humbly trusting their Savior has very little trouble obliging to the commands given regarding our, our earthly relationships. But if we get this wrong and interpret this filling the Spirit in the wrong way and necessarily fail to apply what it means in its proper context, we most certainly will not be able to fulfill the God-given mandate in the following verses. Now, if you would like to torture yourself, and I don't recommend this, you can go online and search for the following. Be filled with the Spirit. A search on YouTube is quite telling. You'll be confronted with a myriad of Pentecostal and charismatic preachers who explain that the filling of the Spirit is an event or a series of events that will lead you into a more extravagant display of spiritual gifts and a quote, the feeling of the presence of God. The amazing thing to me is that what I can see is that those churches that misinterpret this teaching also play fast and loose with the doctrine of roles in the church and family context. And that's not, a, that's not inclusive or exclusive. But. You would have to interpret the following verses on relationships differently than intended if you didn't have a true filling of the Spirit. Or you would be as frustrated as a lost man trying to keep the command of God. Trust me, if all the filling of the Spirit means is ecstatic speech and abnormal behavior and, quote, a spiritual feeling, your ability to live out the imperative commands in the verses that follow will come up drastically short. So what is Paul saying to us here? Is he saying that we should seek the, the filling of the Spirit? Those YouTube preachers almost unanimously urge their congregations to seek this so-called filling. But I can, I can assure you this is not what Paul is saying. Consider first the Greek. First, Paul gives a negative command. Do not be drunk. Why? Because this is debauchery or dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. The word form here, Allah, or but, as in the conjunction, but be filled, is in the plural form of the word. And here he is giving a command not to some believers. He's not suggesting that some or even all seek the filling, but he commands all believers everywhere in all time to be filled with the Spirit. The command here is not only in the plural form as an encompassing all believers, but it's also in the present tense form of the verb. So we can rightly translate this as keep on being filled or be being kept filled by the Spirit. Now, the Greek word for be filled is the word pleruo, which is in the passive voice, which means the subject receives the action, which emphasizes that we as believers do not fill ourselves, but are, but are filled with the Spirit by God. How then can we understand this? How can Paul command us to be filled when it's up to our sovereign Lord to do the filling? These are good questions. I'm glad you asked. Look first at the command given in verse 18. Paul contrasts drunkenness with spirit-filledness. And I made that word up. These two, though diametrically opposed, have common characteristics. 
A person who often drinks in a way that he becomes intoxicated has given over control to that substance. Now, in another way, the man or woman who yields to the Word of God in prayerful meditation on a continual basis will also give over control of their lives to the Spirit. Now, as a man drinks wine in a repetitive way so as to become intoxicated, how much more should Christians drink the Word of God that gives life? It really is that simple. Think with me. If your mind is so full of the Word of God that when you open your mouth, the overflow of your heart is songs and hymns and spiritual things, will there be any room for anything else? Prayerful, thoughtful meditation on the Word of God in an intentional way, on a regular basis, day by day, will yield the the Spirit-filled fruit of life. There is a comprehensive and striking parallel in Colossians 3:16 through 22. And we can read that together if you like. Colossians 3. Colossians 3:16. <clears throat> Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. In this passage, there are direct parallels to our passage in, in Ephesians 5.18. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, Be filled with the Spirit. The following verses are directly parallel to our text this morning. He gives the command to be filled, as it were, with the Word of Christ, and then speaks about our relational obligations. Paul goes on to say that by allowing the Word of God to, to uh, the Word of Christ to dwell richly in you, you will be empowered to fulfill the imperative commands in the following six verses i.e. how we are to conduct ourselves in regard to our relationships, in marriage, in the family, in the workplace, and in the church, and so on. So then we can see plainly that Paul uses the terms to be filled with the Spirit and let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you synonymously. So then what can we say? The Spirit-filled Christian is one who gives over control of their lives to God in a trusting way. That Christian who is spirit-filled is one who daily, hourly, moment by moment, comes to the well of the Word of God, diligently studying the pages of Scripture in in prayerful meditation, allowing the Word of Christ to dwell, dwell richly in their hearts. The Christian who is being conformed into the image of Christ is the spirit-filled Christian. Now, it's only at this point that any of us have the proper means to follow through and to carry out the biblical mandate in regard to our relationships. Without the Spirit of God, 
empowering us, without the word of Christ dwelling richly in our hearts, we are unable to, to fulfill the commands given. So everything hinges upon a proper filling or a proper dwelling of the word of Christ in our hearts. And without it, we, we can't properly walk. And like David said this morning, if, we're not, if we don't have scars on our knees from the time we've spent in prayer, in careful meditation of the word of God, how can we expect to have any hope of fulfilling the relational mandate that we've been given? We need to study God's word. We need to be saturated in the word of God. It needs to be everything that we think about. When we wake up in the morning, before our feet hit the floor, before you drink your first cup of coffee, pray to God to give you the power you need to, to carry on the day before you do anything else. In all things, pray. In all things, lean on the word of Christ. Draw from the Bible. Draw from your brothers and sisters. Draw from those who are over you in the Lord. Imagine, and it isn't hard for me to imagine, that we would try to love our wives as Christ loves the church without the proper, proper filling of the Spirit. Men, could it be that we become harsh and cruel to our wives and children because we are failing to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us? Wives, do you find it hard to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord? Are you being saturated in the word of Christ? Husbands, are you leading your family in the word? Young people, do you find great joy in your obedience to your parents? Is your hearts, is it your heart's joy to respect them and honor them in the Lord? Are you being filled by the Spirit of God? If not, then it may be well that your heart is holding back and you are not allowing the word of Christ in your heart in such a way that you are spirit-filled and driven person. Those of us with jobs in the workforce, are you subject to your employer knowing that you either dishonor or honor God by your conduct? Is it your joy to respond graciously when you are treated unfairly? It is impossible to live the Christian life apart from the filling of the Spirit. Search your heart and ask God to reveal anything that is in the way of your heart being dominated by the Spirit. I then urge all of us to surrender our will fully to the Spirit of God. Search your heart. Live your lives in submission to the Word of Christ and allow it to change you. Throw off this world and run away from vain teaching and any hypocritical liars who seek to profane the name of God and seek to exalt themselves. Prayerfully wage war against your flesh and allow the sword of the Spirit to sever anything in your life that seeks to pervert the will and the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you and check yourselves first in the mirror of God's word to see if there be any fault in you. My dear brothers and sisters, Christ has lived and died and now lives forevermore. The perfect sinless Savior has granted us who believe new hearts that are being sanctified and conformed to his image. Let us throw off anything that would seek to slow us down. O blessed thought of God's own Son.
Let each one of us submit in every area of our lives in humble conformity to the will of Christ our Lord so as to be filled with the Spirit. Let each one of us hourly, daily, moment by moment drink the life-giving word of Christ. Only then will we truly walk in the roles created for us, and only then can we receive the blessing of relationships as God has intended them for us. Paul uses let the word of Christ dwell richly in you interchangeably with being filled with the Spirit. Th- this teaching has struck me, and I realize, and I'm, and, and I, I'm also in agreement with, with uh, Brother David this morning when he said that oftentimes our prayer lives are lacking, and, and I'm guilty of this. And so much of this, this, what I've been learning here over the last couple of weeks, has has blessed me and convicted me in so many ways. But I know that I know that God is faithful, and I know that He commands us to be in His Word. I know that our appetites for His Word will dry up if we're not feeding daily on His Word. Those appetites will be built up. The farther you go into the well of God's Word, the deeper truths you find, the more your eyes will be mesmerized by the glory of Christ and what He's done. It it takes effort. I read somewhere, I can't remember where it was, but it was it was drawing a contrast between young children and and older men and basically said something to the effect of you don't have to teach a child to run to his father. He just naturally does that. And 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 I know from my own life as as a I'm fairly young in the Lord, but I know that when I first got saved, I mean, no one had to tell me to run to the father. I ran head over heels. And it was not hard. And it's not hard now, but it, it takes work to be a Christian. There is sweat that we need to exert in order to be a Christian. We, we need to wake up hours before we need to go, if that's what it takes. We need to set aside the proper time to get on our knees, to prayerfully study the, the Word of God, to let it dwell richly in us. How can we expect to live out the relationships that we hold so dear in a godly manner, if we're not doing this, it's not possible. So my encouragement to everyone here is just that. And it is myself preaching to myself as well, that we need to allow the Spirit to fill us in a way that we're conformed to the image of Christ in order to live out the relationships that God has called us to. Please pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And Father, we worship him. Father, we look to you for all things. God, we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, that we would be dominated by the word of Christ, that it would dwell richly in our hearts that we would encourage each other, one another, brother to brother and sister to sister, to walk worthy of the manner in which you called us, Lord. That when we opened our mouths, it would be songs and hymns and spiritual things, Lord, and that every time we were awake or every time we were going to sleep, at any moment of our day, Lord, that our thoughts would be constantly dominated by your truth and who you are and what you've done in Christ. Father, we know that apart from this, we are hopelessly lost and unable to fulfill anything that you've called us to. 
I pray, God, that each one of us would be driven to our knees in prayer and study of your word. Father, please bless us in these things and help us to be conformed to the image of Christ, Lord. Please help us to shed anything that would slow this down. Let us move forward, Father, in a deeper and fuller understanding of who you are, in a deeper and more rich relationship with you that blossoms into our lives, into the relationships of those around us, Lord. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.